Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company, all right? We're a movement of everyday folks like you and me who are letting beauty break through the noise so it can transform our culture from the inside out. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm so pumped you're here. The enemy within. All right, that's a little bit of an intense topic for a podcast episode, but you know what? Father Ryan and I, we went for it and we know you guys can handle it. And frankly, it reminds me why it is so much easier to love your enemies when you recognize that there is in fact an enemy within, right? That all of us, frankly, are at war with ourselves some days, you know? It's like that writing from St. Paul, I, I, I don't do what I want to do when I, I do what I don't want to do, right? That existential ache, that existential crisis, really at the heart of every human being. And okay, why are we talking about this, you know, two weeks after election day? Why are we talking about this in the context of love good and raising music, books, and art to a whole new standard, even, in our own sort of journey of cultivating the art of being human, what, what does this really have to do with it? Well, I think it gets to the very heart of true human freedom, you know, recognizing the brokenness within, recognizing the fact that if, if we don't seek healing, if we don't seek redemption, if ultimately we don't seek truth, then we are going to act out of our wounds. We're going to act out of our struggles. We're going to act at times, even out of a deep self-hatred and This isn't about loving ourselves, although that's kind of a part of this. It's ultimately about allowing ourselves to be loved and even finding the the really annoying or frustrating parts of our personalities, the things that we really hate about ourselves to ultimately find delight in them. You know, not as a license to sin, but as an invitation to redemption, all right? And an invitation to patience in the meantime, right? Because none of us are redeemed overnight. None of us are saved in a moment. It is a lifelong journey towards freedom. And today, as always, Father Ryan really reminds us of that beautiful perennial truth. Before I bring Father Ryan in, I want you to enjoy this excerpt of Butterfly Collector from the 2020 album by Marie Miller called Little Dreams. It's available everywhere digital music is streamed. Father Ryan, how you doing? Stop doing that. <laughs> Every time. I mean, have you recovered from lunch? That's the real question. Yeah, it was a nice kind of little break for sure. I mean, tell the world about this just glorious sub shop. I don't even know what street. it's called. Isn't it called sub shop? Sub shop, coffee shop. I don't think they have got a name or a brand. Sub shop, Inc. 
Yeah. It's great. It's just good. I don't know what you want to say. I mean, it's a local little hole in the wall made with love. Yeah. I got the tuna. What'd you get today? Italian. Oh, yeah. Nice. Cheese is it good with that nice (sighs) uh, sea salt Mm -hmm. kettle chip. Yeah. I do worry and wonder about a lot of small businesses right now. Like, it's amazing that so many places have stayed open in the midst of- Good job. Whoever did it. Crazy. Good job to them. Yeah. I mean, the same I mean that's is, not easy. The same is true for Love Good. The same is true for Catholic churches and schools. The same is true for a lot of organizations. It's like pretty sure a lot of people are just barely hanging on. So, you know, one of the things that I love thinking about, especially when the world just is seemingly at odds with itself, is the fact that, well, most days I'm at odd with myself as well. You know, we hinted at this a few episodes ago that there's a lot of light, a lot of darkness, a lot of reason for hope, maybe even temptation towards despair all around us. But frankly, the same is true of my soul. And one of the first times I really began grappling with that was in the reading of a book that I happen to love, and I'm about to finish it for the second time, that that I know you don't love it. How far do you think you got? I don't even know. The book is called Strangers and Sojourners by Michael D. O'Brien. Let's at least take a step back. I didn't get to the sojourners part, I'll tell you that. Let's at least talk about why we both love Michael D. O'Brien. Because if it wasn't for this author, I mean, and if it wasn't for the oh hellos, who knows if we'd be sitting here together right now. That's true. I mean, That's true. That's this a good is point. a key unifier. Yeah, a good, he's a key, yeah. In our friendship. An integrating principle, if you will. Integrating principle, indeed. I mean, he's a Canadian. He's a bit of a homesteader. He's, if anything, maybe an isolationist. I mean, he's kind of living in the middle of nowhere, British Columbia, last I checked. He might have moved, actually. He's yeah. got a son who just became a priest. It's awesome. And he's an artist and an author. And he's an oak in winter. An oak in winter. Tell me about that. A Michael D. O'Brien fan. Yeah. Know should it. know, but should tell know me. I haven't read I'm not bio. saying you're not a true fan, but I mean, people out there who really know him. Yeah. It's a poem that he wrote. Yeah. Or a little, like, short story that he wrote about. You uh, tell me that. Oaks in winter retain something of their vivality despite appearing to be dead. Mm. The question is, who's the truer fan? The one who's read that poem or the one who's read this book? That's a hard that's I'd say we're both question. pretty middle-of-the-road fans. No. Given what, no. We, given what we have discovered read, here today. I've read every one of his books, and I've read now two of them twice. I feel good about that. If I met him, I would probably lose my mind. I wouldn't know how to talk. Have I would you read his biography? My, no. Read it. Which is how I think I can say I'm more of a fan of his writing than of him. I don't know him. Yeah. I don't know his story. Read it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's the one that you told me about. I bought it. It's on the list. I saw it there on the shelf. Yeah. I might yeah. just conveniently place it in very conspicuous places. But one of the things that I love about literature, great literature, is it helps, well, I feel more human, first of all, and it helps me better understand the plight, the realities of, of other people. If it's well-written and the character development is rich, you suddenly feel like, ah, I'm catching a glimpse of another person's reality and actually better understanding mine in light of it. Yeah. And in this book, well, there's a lot going on and there's a, a particular character, the main character. Could I just interrupt you for Please. one second? Yes. A question. Of course. What do you, we use the phrase, the art of being human. Mm. We talk about be fully human. What do we mean? And you said, uh, this kind of book, certain kinds of books, they make you feel more human. human. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you're asking as a professor, as I'm, a friend. I'm, just, I'm, I'm literally asking as yeah. a curious human. Yeah, yeah, good. Because I'm not always sure. I, I like to say that, and it's one of those things that when you say it, you mm-hmm. know what it means. Totally. But 
how do you explain it? Yeah. I mean, I, I can just speak personally, not academically. That in fact, like for me, being human um, is tapping into the mysteries, you know, tapping into the, the reality of things. And I think, you know, sometimes we hear that word and actually what do we often hear? You know, oh, he's only human to almost uh, excuse mistakes and excuse imperfections. But last I checked, the one who was fully human was Jesus hmm. and he was perfect. So to be really human, to enter into the human experience with courage, with hope, with joy is really, I think, to constantly cycle through the life, death and resurrection of our Lord who was the only one among us fully human, fully alive, and obviously fully divine. Yeah. If he convenient. wasn't fully divine, would he have been perfect? Yeah. So for me, it is kind of code for, Ooh, this makes me more like Jesus. Dodging the Christology question. Oh, what is the, I don't, I've never studied Christology. Hit me up. Would he have been fully perfect if he wasn't fully divine? Say that again. Is his fully perfection related to his divinity or his humanity? I have no idea. Never thought about that. That's just, we don't have to answer that. Is that not like a decided thing in the church? Is it a debate about that? No, but you said mm. merely human. Well, last time I checked, the one who was fully human was also fully perfect. But yeah. I think he was fully perfect because he was fully divine. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. This is turning into Nicaea 3. Yes, okay. I actually didn't follow any of that. But it sounds great. Awesome. It sounds really good. Okay, good. So when I read this book, when I read a lot of Michael D. O'Brien books, I feel like I'm being invited into other people's suffering, other people's redemption, hmm. which is the Christian story, you know? And so in this book, you, you follow this incredible character by the name of Anne Delaney, who at least I'm, I'm rereading it right now. And I think I'm a hundred pages from the end. It's like 600 pages. And there's still no sign of, of her conversion. I mean, she's just a straight up pagan who cares deeply about beauty, about truth, about integrity, about virtue. She's raised in this incredible family. She marries this very Irish, very Catholic wild man. Like literally, you know, had spent his entire life up until meeting her, just like working the land and was kind of rough and tough, but also deeply spiritual in his own ways. And you can see her observing his life eventually, like as, you know, her husband and constantly sort of given her little tastes of what she longs for deep down, even though he wouldn't have language around it. And she's like the language person. She's the one who like owns a- She's uh, a teacher, isn't she? She's a teacher, she but she ends up buying out this newspaper in town. And there's this moment here where she's, I don't even remember who she's talking to, but she says, from experience, I begin to find it more important to forgive my enemy on the day that I found out that I am my enemy. That's where real freedom and liberation comes. So she's diving into her own imperfections, her own struggles. And she goes on to write in one of her little journal entries. She says, the world is in anguish at present, which kind of feels like the state of affairs. Sound familiar? The world is in anguish. The reigning emotion is lust for victory, for enough power to crush our enemy who desires the exact same thing. Now, this is a book taking place in Canada during World War II. And she says, certainly Mr. Hitler is real enough and monstrous enough for us to engage him in battle with easy conscience. But what of the war within us? We can scarce recognize the tyrant raging in our own hearts, just as we deny a whole range of inner realities, especially in the West, where every sadness must be dispelled by a pill or a toy. She goes on to say that the rejection of suffering results not in joy, 
but in depression. I'm not melancholic. Not very much anyways. Okay. I've hinted at it. For the most part, I'm like pretty, you know, I just, I'm in a good mood most of the time and I have a hard time getting existential. I like melancholic people and tend to appreciate the depth of insight and the depth of feeling. It's a little intimidating, even a bit overwhelming at times, but I really love it and I respect it. Sorry. That's why I hang out with artists and people like you so much. But it wasn't until I read him, who's very much an artist, very much an author, tapping into, I think, the depths of human suffering and redemption, that I began to appreciate suffering at a distance. Not as this like theological concept that could redeem me, but as a lived reality that could help me tap into what it really meant to be fully human. And as he put it here, to live a life of, in fact, joy. That true suffering results in joy, not in depression. And that the poet, the writer, the painter, the artist, the melancholic, the former lead in the Charlie Brown Christmas play. Oh, please. Will not be born until the day he decides to engage the enemy within. Tell me, Father Ryan, about the enemy within. I don't think that's something that most of us like to talk about. It's so much easier to just point our finger at the opposite side of the political aisle, to point our fingers about people who don't go to the same church that we do, who don't see the world the same way that we do, we're kind of back to this fundamental question of what's wrong with the world. Why are we so hesitant to look, engage, and ultimately do battle with the enemy within? Uh, well, we just had lunch. You can take your time. No, I mean, you just are asking these fundamental questions of the human condition. That's all. And so how do you even begin to broach them in a way that's satisfactory? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you write a 600-page novel. Yes, thank you, Michael D. O'Brien. <laughs> I'm serious. Thank you for that. Well, go back to the elementary school playground. And you get bullied. Been there. You know? Yeah. Big Ben. His name was Seamus, actually. We didn't all go to school in County Derry, James. <laughs> what was that? Derry Girls. Didn't you ever see Derry Girls? No. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. I grew up in small town Tennessee. Did you know that? Johnson City. They have people named Seamus in small town Tennessee. It's an Irish name. It's an Irish name. Seamus Dole. Derry is in Ireland, Jimmy. You missed the oh, joke. Oh, Derry, you missed Ireland. The joke. You missed I, the I joke. I didn't know County where you went there. So. I should have gone with something more obvious. Yeah. County Cork, maybe. That, I could have I followed that. Anyway, you're on the playground. You're getting bullied. You assume that the bully is right. Isn't that funny? You assume that the bully's right. Mm. He knows something about me that I didn't even know about myself. He's mm. pointing it out. I'm bad at this. I'm ugly. I'm stupid. I'm not well-dressed. I'm a poor kickball player. Whatever. You just assume he's right. Why? Because you have an enemy within you. Mm. Because there's a part of you that lacks self-confidence. As an elementary school kid, you probably don't know much about yourself yet. But interestingly, what about Seamus? <laughs> Why would Seamus react that way? Why would Seamus choose to be so focused on you and miss the plank in his own eye? Well, it's because there's an enemy within him, too. That the bully is often more unhappy than the one that he bullies. Mm. And consider how unhappy you are when you're being bullied. Mm -hmm. So consider how unhappy your bully must be. So it's just a deep part of the human condition that... We act out of our fear. We act out of our woundedness. I don't know even one truly, to their core, genuine meanie head. <laughs> I don't. 
but I know a lot of people who are insecure about themselves, who don't feel confident in who they are, who don't understand that so much of life is just knowing that you're loved and acting out of that identity as someone who is loved unconditionally, that then they cause a world of trauma around them. Mm. The reality we've talked about before is that hurt people hurt people mm. and free people free people. What's her name? The psychologist you like? Brene Brown. That's the one. Brene Brown. Hurt people hurt people and free people free people because in Brene Brown, her big thing is she talks about shame, mm. shame and vulnerability. And I know we've talked about vulnerability before, but maybe not so much shame. Mm. So the enemy within, we as individuals have a unique perspective of our own life. In one way, we are the only ones with the full knowledge of our whole life. Mm. You know, we are the only ones, us and God, I guess. But that's it. Even the people who are closest to us, even people with whom we live or share a bed or whatever, spouses, children, teachers, friends at work, whatever, they might know everything there is to see about you, but they don't know your thoughts. You know what I mean? So the, the only one who knows absolutely every detail of our story and history is us, mm -hmm. right? And God. So that's the one hand, right? But on the other hand, other people can show us parts of ourselves that we don't know. That's Leon Bloy's big thing, right? That there are parts of our hearts that don't yet exist, and yet into them enters suffering that they might have existence. Nice. So suffering of others that I witness, that I'm a part of, I play a role in, suffering in my own life, of which I am the subject, suffering enters into our hearts that these certain parts of our lives might have existence. We might learn about ourselves. We might learn of God. The Vatican Church, what am I talking about? Vatican II is very clear in Gaudium et Spes that it's Jesus who reveals the human person to him or herself. So how do you get to know Jesus? You get to know who he is in his, like you said, his life, death, his resurrection. So when you look at the life though, and I don't under, always listen to the people around me who tell me that I'm funny and good preacher and a pleasure to have around and whatever. I don't listen to my mom who says I'm your biggest fan and I'll support you no matter what. I don't always listen to the people in my parish who say, here's a gift, here's a gift, here's a gift, here's a gift. There you go. Mm. Use them. You know yeah. what I mean? You've been given by God, these gifts. And sometimes because I have the full picture of my whole life, I say, how can you say that to me? How can you say that if you really knew? Do you not know? If you really knew, yeah. you know, if you really knew, and then Jesus responds to that, doesn't he? Mm. Think of the woman at the well. He says, no, if you really knew mm. who was speaking to you today, you would never ask for regular water ever again. Mm -hmm. So shame, Brene Brown says, is the result of this sort of interior displeasure with oneself, this kind of reality of the enemy within. And she says that shame is the feeling um, unworthy of connection mm. with others because of what I see in there. Yeah. So rather than embrace who I am, I'm free, I'm moving forward, I'm going to be myself in reality, et cetera. <laughs> I'm going to remove myself from reality. You know, yeah. I'm choosing to inhibit myself in many ways. Now, you don't want to go and put your deepest secrets on billboards. <laughs> One, because billboards are very expensive. But two, that's not the kind of radical openness we're talking about. Yeah. But remember that especially prayer is the safest place on earth 
I love it when you say that. Is that yours? I mean, I've heard it many times. I think it's from Deacon Keating, maybe at IPF. Prayer is the safest emotional place on earth. I love that. You can go anywhere. You can say anything. You can be honest and real in a way that you can't be anywhere else. God can handle it. He can handle it. The God who made the mountains and the sun can handle your stuff. (laughs) He can do it. I know he can. And, you know, so I think about people like Anne in the story, you know what I mean? And the way the story resolves, you know, we're not going to get into it, of course, but what she's really looking for is someone to, to live with her on that level. That's right. What are we looking for when we're held in captivity? What can we not wait for in the movies where people are held in captivity? We want somebody to be searching for us. Mm. We want somebody to be out looking for us. And we want somebody at a moment we might not predict to kick down the door and say, come with me. I'm here to take you. Come with me into the light. You know what I mean? Mm. That's what we want. And so what is, how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, it happens over time in little ways, of course. And maybe I'll just say this, that the culminating kind of end goal would be freedom. Yeah, man. What is freedom? The world says freedom is the absence of bonds, rules, authority. It's total kind of leeway, liberty. License. License. Freedom is not the absence of bonds, I don't think, but freedom is the ability to be myself within reality. That's what Father Caron says. I'm having a flashback. From CL. We've talked about this before. Well, I mean, I'm thinking back to, you know, back when there was things called events and conferences and retreats. And and we used to do that together sometimes up in Hinsdale, Illinois. Beautiful. You gave an entire talk on this. Yeah. So good. Bunch of seventh and eighth graders, probably for the first time in their life, grappling with true freedom. Just the idea of it, you know? It's not the, the, the freedom from problems. You can be free and still have all kinds of problems. Well, just look at me, for example. <laughs> How free am I really? You know, that's a different question and not for the podcast. But <laughs> to be myself within reality, to say, these are my problems. These yeah. is, this is what I have going on. But the fact that I'm angry about this, the fact that I don't like the way that the election turned out, the way that I really wish this were different, that I wish my childhood were different, that I wish I had reacted differently to this person, all this stuff that we know about Mm -hmm. because we have the full picture of our whole life that usually kind of inhibits us or kind of ties us down, we can actually be free in it by saying, all of that's true. Mm. All of that is true and real, and that's where I'm at. Mm. I'm a professor who always says that freedom... Or virtue, you know, is being able to love the good and, and choose it with ease and spontaneity, I think is the phrase. Yeah. You know? No, that's that's virtue. That's what virtue yeah. allows you to do. Yeah. Which is a wonderful place to be. There's a big, pretty big gap for me a lot of the time. Yeah. Most of the time. Sure. Between, you know, where I'm at and where I want to be and the, the pathway towards freedom, true, deep interior freedom. Yeah. So it's like a really interesting sort of landing point in this conversation, given that we do live in the you know land of the free, home of the brave. Mm-hmm. But do we really understand in America, do we really understand in Western culture right now what it means to be free, you know? And I'm always excited to, to hear your thoughts on this because I know this is a, a big thread for you. I mean, a pretty consistent theme in your own spiritual life too, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. When did that journey begin? Was it in reading a book? Was it in being challenged by a friend or a spiritual director? I would say all of the above kind of coming together at once Yeah, in the seminary at one point in time. It's cool. And realizing that you get free or you don't. Yeah. (laughs) Live free or die. 
mm-hmm. is one of our states of the union. I think their license plate says it. That's right. Maybe New Hampshire. I yeah. don't know. Live free or die. You live free or you choke to death. You know what I mean? I just remember a talk in the seminary about getting ready for ordination and still a few years off at this point, but they said, you know, in the Catholic ordination mass, part of it is the the person being ordained actually lays down on the floor while the litany of the saints is chanted. And it's symbolic, of course, it's a kind of sign of laying down your life for the church. But the, the, the analogy is always, when your nose hits the marble, <laughs> will you be ready? You know, when your nose hits the marble on the floor, will you be ready? And this person said, to go to the floor without everything revealed mm. to the church through your spiritual director, your vocation director, your formation advisor, your bishop, but to go to the floor without everything revealed, without having done all the work you possibly could to become free, to become you, is a chink in your confidence, he says, that you belong on the floor. Mm-hmm. But he said, to go to the floor with everything revealed, to go to the floor having been completely honest with the people who are in charge of helping you make this decision mm-hmm. is the greatest source of confidence you will ever have as a priest. Mm-hmm. And I have to think about that. So, you know, transfer the analogy, you know what I mean? To go to the altar, to meet your spouse there, having held back from them, having resisted the, the need to become open with them and honest with them and free mm. is a chink in your confidence that you, that you belong next to them that day. But to reveal everything to the other, of course, in time, and again, you don't put it all on a billboard and whatever, but to have been as honest as possible and to still be chosen is the greatest source of confidence you'll ever have as a spouse. It's amazing because that parallel... I think also exists in the spiritual life. Sure. You know, that to to not have all revealed, even if it is a lifetime of God revealing you to yourself, but to approach God and hold anything back could be a chink in your confidence that you are a beloved son, beloved daughter of God, and you yeah. don't live in the freedom and the glory of your sonship, you know? It often results from that thought that mm-hmm. I'm not beloved, so why would I reveal? Yeah. Yeah, good call. But it leads to it. Certainly, it fosters it. Remember, hurt people hurt people. It's a cycle. It's a kind of spiral. So it it, it is a result of it, and it fosters it also. Mm. And that's kind of the point is making earlier was that I don't know any very genuine meanies, but I know a lot of people who act out of that place. Yeah, a place of unknowing, a place of undoing, mm-hmm. a place of kind of being coming uprooted from any sense of of true, a foundation for my identity, a source of my identity that comes from somehow outside of my own craziness. You know what I mean? That I'm not defined by my insanity and by the things that I've done, but I'm defined actually by, as we said, I think a couple podcasts ago, that while I was still a sinner, someone died for me Mm -hmm. and that look at the love with which we've been loved. Yeah. That we've been called children of God and yet so we are. So we are. And so with that kind of knowledge, that it, it propels us through the universe. It propels us through life. It really does. And it makes people look at us and say, what the heck is it about that guy? Why aren't these people tied up in the results of the election? Mm-hmm. Well, because my kingdom's not of this world. And <laughs> there's just 
you know, there's more at stake. There is more at stake than the political life of the United States of America. That's right. You said it well a couple months ago that the redeemed should look redeemed. And that means our heart, our hope, and certainly our citizenship is in heaven. And, Does that uh, mean that we don't participate in this civic life here? Obviously, no. We and engage. I can I anticipate that objection. We so. engage and we redeem. And you know what? It takes a lot for you and I, well, at least for me, to hold back from political commentary on this podcast. It does podcast. not take Oh, it takes everything, everything in me. But that's not our purpose and our point. In cultivating the art of being human, we're calling to mind these transcendental realities, these overarching threads that at every point in human history, in every culture, in every political environment, in every age, really do matter for living the good life. Father Ryan, as always, it's a pleasure being guided by you through these conversations. Thank you. Great yakking with you. Talk to you soon. Peace. See you. Bye. Yes, up the chain of this command. The blind lead the blind. You can change your voice that's leading them on, but you cannot change their minds. Oh, and when the blind start swinging and they cut you and you bleed, don't give in to your hatred or you ain't never going to be free. Just slow down. Slow down, don't give in to your hatred or you ain't never gonna be free. Yeah, oh. You're listening to Slow Down, the third track from Kevin Hyder's brand new EP called Make an Honest Stand. Now, obviously, we had Kevin Hyder on the podcast for a doubleheader. Well, I guess a couple of months ago now, and we talked about this EP that he was going to release. We even heard him sing one of these songs live, but in case you missed it, it is now out there. Everywhere digital music is streamed, go find Kevin Hyder's Make an Honest Stand. It's, I would say, you know, pretty in your face, especially given that we're coming out of an election cycle. It's a very beautiful and a very challenging EP, one that I think we should all listen to and be inspired by, convicted by as well. But how about that conversation today with Father Ryan Adorjan? You know, it's it's ultimately about making peace terms with, with the enemy within. You know, in a sense, kind of raising the white flag to all of our, our self-hatred, to all of our insecurities, to all of our self-doubt, even the fears that we've lived with or the anxieties that we've lived with since childhood. It's, it's ultimately surrendering them, okay? Recognizing that none of us are quite where we want to be. There's a gap between who we are and who we want to be. And that is why we need redemption, okay? And if we're going to be really seriously cultivating this art of being human, to do it without faith, to do it without grace, to do it without some form of divine help, I mean, forget about it. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. We all, every single day, wake up with a a profound sense of our dependency. You know, would we even have breath in our lungs if it wasn't for divine providence. I think that's probably one of the many reasons that Father Ryan Endorsion is a priest. That's why men have the, the courage to go off and become priests or women go off to become nuns, right? That they can actually be a walking witness day in and day out to the truth that God alone suffices, that all they need is God himself. So as always, I'm just so inspired. Father Ryan, thank you. Thanks to all of our listeners, all of you patrons, especially out there who make this podcast possible. We cannot thank you enough. I have a very, very special guest I'm sitting down with next week. I'll give you a clue. He has, or maybe she has, or maybe they have, 
something to do with the winter package, which is going to be releasing in the first week of December. So, you know, if for some crazy reason you're on the fence about Love Good patronage, let's go. Okay. Join lovegood.com. You'll hear a lot more about that next week, but that's where you can join. That's where you can raise your standard for music, books, and art as you invest in culture and as you really cultivate this art of being human. Yeah, on your own behalf, but on behalf of a world that is in desperate need of beauty, in desperate need of authenticity. And that begins with all of us here and now. Nothing but love, nothing but prayers from Love Good to all of you. We'll see you next week. Peace. Massive thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. If you like this week's episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, share it on social media, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and then join us on the front lines of building a better culture by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. Our patrons get all kinds of incredible exclusive content, such as a weekly long-form video of the podcast, a monthly live stream house concert with our artists, and a seasonal package that will raise your standard for music, books, and art forever. Thanks again for tuning in. It's an honor to accompany you as you change the world.